If you have your Bibles open to Matthew 22, I want to ask you, if you would, to maybe place a, a marker in Romans 5 and then also in John 13. We're going to look at those passages towards the end of our study this morning. Romans 5 and John 13. While you're finding those places, let's uh, once again ask for the Lord to help us today. Father, this is one of those passages of Scripture that we are familiar with, and we recognize it, we agree with it, but Father, we would have to confess, even as believers, that we still fall so very far short of it, and we, we really have to admit that there's never really been a day that we really loved you with with all of our heart and soul and mind and that we really truly put others, all others, before ourselves. But we know, Father, that that is what we are called to as gospel people and especially reflecting on the love that you have bestowed on us in Christ. We know that through you we find the strength and the power and the, the transformation as you continue to sanctify us and fashion us and shape us in the likeness of your Son. That while we've never been perfect at loving in this way, that we desire to pursue loving this way in greater and greater and more meaningful ways. And so that's, that's our prayer this morning, Father, that you would, through your word and through your spirit, that you would continue that great work of grace in our lives and we would be gospel-loving people, we would be God-loving people, we would be others-loving people. That there would be a, just a radical love displayed in our hearts towards one another, a, a God kind of love that is full of grace and that is also full of truth. That we would be humble people, self-denying people, serving people. And that you would put the gospel on display in our lives and in this community and in our homes as the power of gospel transformation continues to transform us into the likeness of your Son. This is what we need, and Father, apart from your grace, it's impossible for us. So we rely on you, and we're trusting in your faithfulness to continue and complete that work that you have begun and bring it to completion at the day of Christ. We love you, Father. Because you love us so much. 
Now we pray that that love would be effective and displayed in our lives. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is part two. Last week, if you recall, we we simply asked the question, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And we made just a a few observations. Loving the Lord with, with all of your heart at least means loving the Lord with our deepest affections. The most fundamental part of, of our uh, affections belong to the Lord, first and foremost in our hearts. Loving the Lord with all of our soul at least means directing all of the faculties of our being, everything that makes me, me, apart from my physical description, my, everything about my soul directed to Godward instead of inward and loving the Lord with all of our mind, it, 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 at least that would mean emptying our minds of all of the godless and, and, and sinful and selfish and doubting thoughts that tend to just stumble and, and invade and infiltrate and bombard our minds day after day after day. It's a, it's a daily, almost a continuously emptying our minds of those things and filling our minds at the same time with the things of God. As Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says, setting your minds on things above where Christ is. So setting our minds on the gospel, setting our minds on Christ, setting our minds on salvation and, and heaven is the way to keep our minds filled with the truths and promises and hope of the gospel rather than our minds filled with worldly, godless things. Loving your neighbor as yourself at, at least means that, that since we, we naturally want what's best for us, we, we should love others in, in, in the same way in which we want what's best for them. And, and if what is best for us is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and, and all of our mind, then that's what's best for our neighbor, for everyone else. That they love the Lord their God with all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their mind. So that then loving your neighbor as yourself would be loving others in such a way that we are continually drawing them and compelling them to God. Loving others in such a way that we, that we are a statement for the gospel. That we are an, an argument, a, a compelling, winsome argument for loving the Lord, treasuring Christ, pursuing holiness, living the gospel in such a way that when we are around others, they, it, it's like a, it's like a, a magnet. It's, it's a gospel attraction. It's, it's contagious. They, they would want that. As the scripture says, be ready to give an answer to those who ask about the hope that's in you. That's the way we love others. At least that's what it means to love others as we love ourselves. So getting back to the text today, we've talked about what, what do these things really mean. 
And I wanted to ask a couple of questions, uh, kind of as introduction. And I'd like to ask, why does God command us to wholeheartedly love him? That's certainly worth a question. If I, if I were to go around commanding everybody to love me with their whole heart, imagine that. Here I am. My, my name is Will. It's nice to meet you. Now, I command you to love me with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. You would think, wow, that guy, you'd probably say idiot, but you would say he's an egomaniac. What is wrong with him? Commanding everybody to love him. And, and that, your assessment would be true. If I went around saying that, that would, that would be true of me as a human. Is God an egomaniac? He, he commands everyone to love him with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul. Is he obsessed with himself? And does he feel incomplete if everyone doesn't love him? Well, we got to be careful, don't we, not to place God into human categories. After all, he's God and, and we are not. If God is the greatest being, and he is, if God is the greatest lover, and he is, then our greatest enjoyment in life would, to be, would be to love him. Our greatest enjoyment in life would, would never be to love someone or something that's not God with our whole heart and soul and mind. But if he is indeed the greatest being, the greatest lover, the creator, the sustainer of all, the eternal, self-existent, holy God, then our greatest enjoyment in life, in other words, the best thing for us to do would be to love him. And as with all of God's commands, everything that's best for us is always for his glory. If we love him wholeheartedly, he gets the glory, we get the joy. That's one way to look at these, this first and great commandment. Another one might be this. Someone might say, but you can't force people to love you. You can't force people to love you. That, that wouldn't be love. So why would God command us to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind? Imagine with me for a moment if the first time that Summer and I met, that I walked up to her and said, Now I command you. I'm very attracted to you. And I command you right now to love me with all of your heart, soul, and mind. It wouldn't work well. It wouldn't go well. That was not my line. <laughs> I did have a few. I won't share those. <laughs> they seemed to work. That one would not have worked. So why does God command us to love him? Remember, we just stated, loving God is the best possible life for us. For Summer to love me might not be the best possible life for her, but to love God would be the best possible life for her. 
But furthermore, again, God, God does not fit in our human categories. Again, we, we can't force love on command, but God can impart love on command. This is where we begin to understand more and more of the grace of God. When, when God issues a command to his people, it comes with the power and the desire to obey it. For example, when God says to his children, believe, they believe. When God says to the lame person, walk, they walk. When God says to the blind person, see, they see. God's commands are filled with with the power of the Spirit. So when his children hear him say, love me with all your heart, there's no resistance, there's there's no rebellion, there's no question. We find simultaneously that indeed loving him wholeheartedly is exactly what we desire to do. It's what we've been created and purposed to do. Augustine said it this way, God commands what he wills, and he wills his commands. In other words, God supplies the grace that we need to obey his commands, to believe him, to love him, to follow him. We live and grow by the grace of God. God enables us to do what we desperately need to do. It's not that we're not doing it. We're doing it. But we're doing it by the grace of God. And for that we are eternally grateful to him. I could not love God without God loving me. And the way he loves me is by graciously, graciously giving me all that I need to obey him and love him. So that's kind of thinking about that, asking some questions on that first command. Let's ask a couple of more questions in our time together this morning. First of all, let's, we, we've already asked what do these two commands mean. So let's look at verse 40 and let's ask a question about verse 40 and then we'll step back and we'll ask kind of an application question of this whole passage. So first of all, how does... How does all the law and prophets depend on them, on these two great commands? In other words, all the the laws of God can be placed under these two laws. These two laws are, are like the headings of all the other moral laws of God. So these two commandments are like, are like large, sufficient hooks that have the ability and the capacity to hold on to and carry the rest of the law of God. Every, all the other laws, Jesus says, on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. So, so under the strength of these two laws, the, everything else of the law and of the prophets who were pointing the people back to the law of God that they had rejected, everything hangs rest by these two laws. 
Now, this is easily demonstrated by the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are kind of like a summary. If you take all of God's moral law and, and kind of make a summary statement, a very condensed version of God's laws, you'd have the Ten Commandments. That's kind of how they serve. Does anyone remember Cliff Notes? Does any people under 20 remember, under 30 remember Cliff Notes? You know, do you even know what I'm talking about? There were books. I see that, Barry. Young man remembers a lot. So there were these things like called libraries. Just kidding. <laughs> Back in the day, we had a lot of these kinds of Anyway, so when I was in school and the teacher said, you got to write a book report on such and such book, my, my first thought was, where are the cliff notes? Because that was a very condensed, shortened version. Or you might look at it this way, the quick guide. So if you, if you buy something that needs assembly at home, right, you bring it home to assemble, you open the box, whatever it might be, there are two books inside there, supposedly. There's the big, thick manual that has all of these details and all of these words and and several languages and then there's this little open pamphlet that has about six steps and it's called the quick guide so what do you do you take the manual you throw it away you take the quick guide and you open it up and in six steps you've got your whatever it might be put together assembled hopefully and working well the ten commandments are a quick guide if you want to quickly know what, what, what's the will of God, how do, how do we live in a way to honor God, you go to the Ten Commandments, and they, they kind of prove you can look at those Ten Commandments and kind of show how all of the laws really hang on these two commandments. Or, or to say it another way, I, I like to look at it this way. All of the laws of God are essentially an application of these two commandments. In other words... Love the Lord with all of your heart. How do you do that? Well, here's the rest of the law concerning you and God. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do I do that? Well, here's the, all the laws concerning you and your relation with others. So they're kind of the application of these two laws. For example, the first commandments concern loving God. Here's how we love God. The first commandment, worship no other but God. So, if we love God, you see how this depends on love, because if we love God, we wouldn't put someone or something else in his place. We would love him first and foremost, so we would worship him first and foremost. That commandment kind of depends on that first commandment, the greatest commandment. It's an application of it. Second commandment, don't make an image of me. Now, we wouldn't, someone that we love, we wouldn't belittle them. We wouldn't make a mockery of them. That, it, see how it depends on love? If we, if we love God, we wouldn't belittle him or make a mockery of him by making an image. By, by trying to craft him into something that, that we can design. Which would be something far, 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 a billion, trillion times less than who he is. We wouldn't do that to someone we love. 
taking God's name in vain. Do not, take my, do not take my name in vain. We would not degrade someone we love. We, we wouldn't call someone we love a nasty, degrading name. See how that law depends on the first great commandment? If we love him, we, we, we wouldn't degrade him. The fourth one is the same. Re- remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. God rested from his work of creation on the seventh day, and in doing so, he set for us a pattern. He wasn't worn, worn out. He, he wasn't tired. He set for us a pattern. Uh, the, the, the Sabbath is, is for man. He set for us a pattern for, for our own good and, and, again, for his glory. The Sabbath rest is meant for worship of God and rest of our bodies. And, and even the strengthening of our faith is on the Sabbath we, we reflect and we look towards that eternal rest that the Sabbath points to. Since Christ was raised on the first day of the week, as Christians, we, we practice that Sabbath principle on Sunday. Worship, rest, point our lives upward to eternity. Now, if you love someone, you wouldn't disregard the example they set for you to follow. You wouldn't totally disregard that and just kind of do anything and live any way that you want to and continually jettison the example of one you love. See how love all these commandments depend on? Hang on, come from. Now, the other six commandments of the Ten Commandments concern loving others. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. If we love others, we we wouldn't sin against them. We wouldn't cause them harm or pain or frustration. We, we wouldn't cause them to stumble in their way to God. We, we wouldn't distract them from their view of God, from, their, from them loving God. We, we wouldn't do anything to get in their way if we love them. Now, using that Ten Commandments as, as, a, as a sample for us, Just as we can hang all of the Ten Commandments, just as they are applications of these two great commandments, so so we can hang all of the law and the prophets, all of God's revealed will for us, along with those who have called us to follow it. Which brings us to this conclusion then, doesn't it? Love is the root. Love is the root from which all of God's law grows. Love is the spring from from which flows all of God's law. So so keeping the law of God. And remember we said last week, the Pharisees, they they sent one of their experts in the law, a lawyer, to to test Jesus with his question. But ironically, this is exactly the question they needed to ask. And it's exactly the answer they needed to hear. Because keeping... Keeping uh, the, the law of God, it, it actually has nothing to do with earning God's favor. He already loves you. Keeping God's law has, has nothing to do with, with establishing your own righteousness and your own merit so that you make sure you earn your way to heaven. Jesus 
has done that for you. It has nothing to do with those things, which is exactly what the Pharisees were tied up in, exactly what we get tied up in. But keeping God's law begins in the heart. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of who you love and what you love. It's a matter if our hearts are in the right place, if we're loving rightly, if if we're actually loving truly, then our lives will be pleasing to God, a glory to Him, and a goodness to others. A righteous life is the fruit of a loving heart. But in order for our hearts to love God first and to love others second, we, we need a new heart. We don't come packaged that way. We come packaged loving ourselves first and loving ourselves second and loving ourselves third. That's the way, that's why when we grow up, one, one of the first things we learn is to grab And to say, mine, that's mine. We we need a transformation in our heart. The the hearts we are born with are inclined to sin, dead in sin, bent inward, rebelling against God, not desiring God. So what does God do? By his grace, through the preaching of the gospel, he transforms hearts. He gives us new hearts. He gives us the ability to love him the way we are meant to love. He wills what he commands. But that brings us to another question, a soul-stirring question, not the second point of the sermon. I'm still on the first point. But just thinking about this, how all of the law and prophets depend on these two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the question would run something like this. Then what does it mean when we break the commands of God? When we reject the commands of God? You might be thinking, well, when we break God's commands, it means that we are sinners. Yes, that's true. That's absolutely true. We've all broken God's commands. Everyone in this building, we've broken God's commands. We're all sinners. You might say, well, when we break God's command, that that also means we're not perfect. That's true. We're not perfect. We are corrupt. And we can't fix ourselves. And that's why we need a Savior. That's why the gospel is such good news. Because we're sinners and we can't take care of our sin because we keep sinning. And, And we are corrupt. We're not perfect people and we can't correct our corruption so the only way we will ever possibly have a chance to reach heaven is if someone comes from heaven and takes us back to heaven with him and that's exactly why Jesus came that was a good place for an amen we are sinners and we are corrupt but as believers as believers Given those new hearts, what does it mean when we break God's commands? We are sinners, yes. We're not perfect, yes. But it means we don't love God and we don't love others as we should. 
And we know it. It really all comes down to are we loving God rightly and therefore are we loving others rightly? When we put our children or spouse or lifestyle or anything first in our hearts, we're not loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we know it. If we're his children, we know that. We know we're loving something or someone else more. When we lie to our friend, we're not loving them. When we take what doesn't belong to us, we're not loving our neighbor. When we engage in sexual sin by either viewing an image or intimate touch, we are not loving others. We're, we're loving ourselves and therefore harming others. So when we as believers realize our self-centered sin is actually a form of hating God, it doesn't mean that we're loving God less and we're loving people less. If we're actually actively sinning willfully, intentionally, actively sinning against God and sinning against others because we love this thing more, we're actually hating God and hating others. And when we realize that as believers, because we, we all fall, we all stumble, we all get caught up in, in things that we shouldn't get caught up in, we all get in ruts, and, and when the Holy Spirit quickens us and awakens us and speaks to us and convicts us, and we wake up out of that spiritual slumber and realize how far we've gone in hating God and hating others, it breaks our hearts. And that's where believers are always confessing and repenting and getting back to loving God and loving others. You see, true believers, we, we simply cannot be happy. We cannot be happy knowing that we are grieving God and hurting others. Sin always promises to make you happy, doesn't it? Selfishness always promises to make you happy. But the more we dig into self and the more we dig into sin, the more miserable, miserable we become as God's people. Why? Because we cannot be happy grieving God and hurting others. None of us are perfect. We're sinners, even as believers. And we want to, we, we desire to love God with all of our heart, to love our neighbor as ourself. When we read those commands, that's what we want to do. That's who we want to be. That's not who I've been this past week, but that's who I want to be. So that brings us to the second question of the sermon this morning. How do we pursue these two commandments? How do we pursue these I want to give us three things. So these are really points of application for us. You might want to write these down. It's really going back to the basics, though. How do we pursue loving God with all of our heart, loving our neighbor as ourself? Number one, we pursue these through Scripture. Through Scripture. 
The word is the sword of the spirit in the armor of God. It, it's how we fight the flesh. It's how we keep self at bay. It's how we deter the, the darts of the evil one. It's how we advance into enemy territory. The word is the sword of the spirit. The word is alive and active. It's how we are transformed and how we are empowered. It's alive, it's moving, it's active, it's working. The more we put into our lives, the more it's at work in our lives. It's through the scripture that we pursue these two commands. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 11. Your word is a, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor, nor, sits in, nor stands in the, in the seat of sinners, nor, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Psalm 1, 1 through 4. It's through Scripture. Saturating our minds and saturating our hearts. We want to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Begin pouring the Bible. Begin pouring God's Word. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Apply it. Rely on it. Embrace it. Love it. Read it. Study it. Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. Through Scripture. Secondly, through prayer. Through Scripture and through prayer. You really, these three things really, all of the Christian life comes down to these three things. These are the staples of the Christian life, through Scripture, through prayer. We, we pursue loving God and we pursue loving others by taking God's Word and making it our prayer. Take God's Word, Scripture, and make it your prayer. So when we come to this Scripture, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then we go to prayer and we say, God, Forgive me because I have not been loving you with all of my heart and with all of my soul and, and with all of my mind. So, Father, would you strengthen me? Would you encourage me? Would you change me? Would you help me and enable me? God, give me what I need to this day love you with all of my heart, that my deepest affection. Help me not to be an idolater. Help, help me not to put someone else there. Help me to know the, 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 the best way to love my family, the best way to love my wife and my children and my grandchildren. The best way to love others is to love you the most. Father, help me. Uh, help me transform. Give me a clean heart. Give me a right heart. Love your neighbor as you, as yourself. 
Oh, Lord, forgive me for being at times so selfish and and self-centered, for only thinking of myself, thinking of my schedule, thinking of my day, thinking of where I'm going. I've been so busy, I've had no time for others. I've been so busy, I haven't had time for the most important things. I I haven't been reaching out. I haven't been a friend. I haven't been serving. Lord, help me. Help me to rearrange my day, rearrange my priorities, to to be able to love my neighbor as myself. So we take Scripture and we make it our prayer. Through Scripture, through prayer. And the third thing, through relying on the power of God's indwelling Spirit. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot do this ourselves. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I'm, I'm going to begin reading in verse 3, but so to give us just a little bit of context, because I, I want us to see just the really the last few words of verse 5, but Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because, listen really carefully here, These words are so empowering because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Did you catch that? Cling to that. This is how we live and love as we should because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So it's all God's grace, right? The Holy Spirit has been given to us grace and the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts grace and that's how we then love God and love others as God has called us to. So how do we pursue loving God for loving us? How do we pursue loving others as God has loved us through relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to pour the love of God into our hearts? I imagine the Holy Spirit with this picture, right? Of, of And he's pouring it into our hearts and, and it's the love of God. And, and so my prayer becomes... Every day, pour, pour away, Spirit. I I need a lot. I used it all up yesterday. Keep pouring, keep pouring. I need all of the love of God in my heart I can possibly get. Fill me full with the love of God in our hearts. I want to conclude by just this two-part study. Let's go back to John. John 13. What I want you to see is two verses of Scripture, Jesus speaking, and he's, we're going to connect these two commandments once again from further teaching of Christ. 
on how loving God and loving others is actually an indication and evidence of our new heart, of our new nature, of our salvation. So we understand it's not an, it's not an option. It's, it's part of the fruit of being a true believer. John 13, beginning in verse 31, again, just to get the context, I'm, we're going to concentrate on verse 35. John 13, 31 when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. So he's, he's right at the cross. That's what he's talking about, the death and the resurrection. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Boy, that, that would be a lot to unpack. That would be a good place to study. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So Jesus takes it further and he presses that commandment even further that the love that Christ has displayed for his people is the same love that his people are to display towards one another verse 35 so important by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another So the best way to love the world is to love each other as Jesus has loved us. Now look at chapter 14 and verse 15 and we'll make the connection with Jesus' teaching to the first commandment. One verse, very clear, wraps up both of my sermons in one statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, because it all starts there, you will keep my commandments. The question for us this morning as we come to a time of responding to the Lord is, who do we love? Who do we love? When I was 15 years old, I the Lord began to convict me in my life that I was not a believer because I was not following Jesus and I didn't love Jesus. I loved Will. When I came to that realization, it's one of the ways in which Jesus drew me to himself. So you might be here this morning and and you might be familiar with church. You might have been a part of church. You might not have been a part of church, but you look at your life and you ask the question, who do I love? What do I love? And you realize that fundamentally you you don't really love the Lord and you never really have loved the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you become to realize that's exactly what you need. Well, how do I get there, Pastor? Pastor. 
Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus this morning. And he will transform your life and your heart and enable you to love as you were created to love. And then there may be some of us, probably all of us who profess to be in Christ, who know the Lord, who would say, you know, look, looking back, I've drifted. Pastor, I, I, I haven't loved the Lord. I haven't loved others. I've gotten caught up in everything else but these most important things. And, and this morning, I'm just confessing and repenting and praying and reorienting my life and my schedule and everything to where I am loving the Lord and loving others. One way or the other, we probably all have work to do with the Lord this morning. That's what these next two verses are about. Let me pray for us, and then we'll stand and we'll sing and respond to the Lord in faith. Father in heaven, thank you again for this opportunity to come to your word and to study and reflect and meditate together on loving you and loving others. There, truly, there, there's no greater joy a sin is so deceptive to think that if we are at the center of the universe, we're going to be happy. And we're actually going to be miserable. Nothing is fulfilling in that way. It's, it's always better to give than to receive. Everything about the way you've created and designed and purposed is to give, 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 give. And you exampled that so when you gave your son. It really comes down, Father, to who we love and, and what we love and how we have been loving. And so we just stand before you today and ask you, God, to work in our hearts and lives. If we need Christ, draw us to saving faith in him. If we need to redirect our lives and confess and as believers, then strengthen us to do that. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens. <laughs>